Welcome to Plodcast, episode 20. Plodcast, episode 20. What I'd like to talk about uh, here initially is um, uh, I, I think we need to take care to think biblically or scripturally about technology. I'm recording this in a studio. There are all sorts of technological gadgets sitting around. There's you know, various lights everywhere. I'm, I'm uh, timing uh, this with uh, the stopwatch feature on my, on my smartphone. I'm, uh, I'm speaking into a microphone. You're going to be listening to this by means of some technological device or other when you download it or when you're listening to it in your car, whatever. So our, our lives are surrounded by technology. We are immersed in technology. Technology is everywhere. And uh, more than a few Christians have uh, a, a good deal of nervousness about this. They're, they're, they're nervous about technology. They're nervous about uh, the Internet. They're nervous about um, uh, smartphones. They're nervous about um, smart uh, cars. They're, they don't like the, they don't like the uh, fact that the refrigerator might be uh, spying on them for the CIA, that sort of thing. Now, of course, um, there are all sorts of abuses that um, technology can be put to, but how, how are we to think about this biblically? Um, uh, the, best, uh, the best way that I know for processing this is to think of technology as a form of wealth. If you looked up smartphones on your in your concordance if you looked up uh, smartphones in your uh, Bible search software you w- it wouldn't come up with anything the Bible doesn't talk about smartphones the Bible doesn't talk about uh, the microchip the Bible doesn't talk about uh, space travel the Bible doesn't talk about uh, uh, fracking the Bible doesn't talk about uh, these things at all so uh, Cornelius Van Til one time said that the one time said that the Bible is authoritative uh, in everything it addresses, and he said it addresses everything. That must mean that it addresses everything in principle. So, if we want direction from Scripture on how to understand technology, where do we look? What do we look up? We have to be able to look up something that will give us direction on how to understand. Um, having the television set that we do or having um, a pre-programmable oven that we do and yeah what what are we to do with this so uh, i would suggest that technology should be understood as a species of wealth the uh, technology is wealth and if i said that as soon as i say that i realize that the bible has an enormous amount to say on this on the subject of that <laughs> so speaking of technology uh, when I set the uh, stopwatch I inadvertently set a timer on on the little app right next to it and and I didn't do that on purpose and it started uh, barking at me so this let this be an object lesson uh, technology has a downside um, and you might say uh, so that's a form of wealth having your phone bark at you well yes it actually is it actually is so let me um get get back on track when the bible when the bible tells me about about wealth when the bible teaches me about wealth it teaches me two things one of them is that wealth is a gift of god 
Wealth is something that he bestows on us. It comes from him, and the appropriate response is gratitude. And the Bible uh, also teaches me that in this fallen world, that when God gives the blessing of wealth, the temptation that it presents to me is to not be grateful. So it's a two-step sort of thing. I am supposed to thank God if I inherited a, a pile of money, I'm to thank God for that. That's a good gift. But I'm also supposed to remember that Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked in, in Deuteronomy. Um, God gives the Israelites great and enormous wealth when they went into Canaan, Canaan and inherited the land. And then in Deuteronomy 8, he says that the wealth that they got from God was going to be the occasion for them um, uh, going to be the occasion for them to forgetting God. So uh, Cotton Mather put it this way. He said, faithfulness begat prosperity and the daughter devoured the mother. So what happens is that we honor God, we serve God, we learn a work ethic, we give ourselves to it, and God blesses that. We, we, we are blessed as a result of that. And then when we receive those blessings, those blessings are a temptation, are sort of established as a, as a temptation for us, um, a standing temptation to forget the God who gave them, who, forget the God who gave them. So you have the giver and the gift, and the gift presents a temptation to forget the giver. So uh, that's what the Bible teaches about wealth. God, um, uh, Paul, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to set their hope on riches, which are so easily destroyed, um, but rather to be generous and, um, and ready to share. Uh, he also says God gives us all things. In that passage, he says God things, gives us all things uh, for our enjoyment. We're supposed to enjoy them. Uh, so take this as a, um, I'm looking here at my phone now, and my phone, if, if I went back to the time of George Washington or Patrick Henry, and I wanted to have done for me all the things, you know, I, I go to Mount Vernon, let's say, and I say, President Washington, uh, could you have someone do this? And he said, yes, I could call a servant and have him do that. Uh, could you have someone do this? Could you have someone do that? Could you have someone uh, uh, look this up and look that up and, and do this work for me and, and so on? He could say, yes, 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 yes. Um, but we would, at some point in the immediate future, that conversation wouldn't go on that long before Washington ran out of servants. And I would not have run out of apps on my phone that would do the very same thing. So if I want to look something up in a Latin dictionary, or if I want to uh, tune my guitar, or if I want to, you know, and I want to use a, a tuner, or if I want to uh, uh, access any book from any library in the world, well, what is that? What is that ability? What is it to carry 100,000 servants around in your pocket? What is that? Well, I would say that the obvious answer is that it's wealth. Uh, that's wealth. You, people with a, a person in possession of a smartphone is incredibly rich. And so consequently, he should remember the uh, warnings that scripture gives. Don't treat your computer, don't treat your television, don't treat your smartphone, don't treat all your, your car uh, with a computer in the dashboard. Uh, these are not to be 
regarded with inherent suspicion. They are gifts from God. We should be grateful for them. We should uh, overflow with gratitude uh, for them, and we should use them. But remember that wealth has a bias. In this world, in this fallen world, the bias is to forget point one. So point one, wealth is a gift from God. Point two, wealth tends to make you forget point one. So the first thing is that wealth is a gift from God. The second thing is that wealth has a tendency to make you forget what it is. And when people have forgotten God, they have lost their ability to be grateful for all the amazing things that he gives us. So we come to uh, our book, little book plug uh, portion of uh, our podcast. And uh, and this episode, I want to uh, encourage you to get and read uh, Thomas Sowell's book, Vision of the Anointed. Vision of the Anointed. Now, I've enjoyed a, a number of things that Sowell has written, but I think I was uh, particularly uh, struck by uh, this book, The Vision of the Anointed. Um, the subtitle is something like Self-Congratulation as the Basis or the Foundation for Social Policy. And what um, what Sowell is doing is he is talking about a, a particular class of individual who's very common in our in our culture in our society and they have a certain vision of the world and in this vision of the world that they have this vision of the world that they have adopted uh, it has the convenient feature of them always being right Um, and there are there's the number of people who uh, hold to this vision is not small it they they have control of most of the media. They have control of our major universities. They have control of our um, uh, entertainment industry, and, and and so on. And and they have they, they don't they they live in a bubble, and they don't allow cognitive dissonance to be introduced into their world from the outside. They are what Soul uh, calls Teflon prophets. Teflon prophets. In other words, their their predictions never ever come back to haunt them. Nobody says, "Hey, what are you doing? Um, uh, what are you doing? Still talking about that?" Um, some of you may remember the book, The Population Bomb, um, back in this in, in the seventies. Uh, Paul Ehrlich. Um, uh, environmentalists have been doing this for decades. Um, we only have. It's probably you know there. The, the cry goes up. We only, we, it's probably already too late, um, but at the most, we just have two years left. And unless we do something about global warming, um, we're all going to die. And so uh, they say that we've got, at the max, we've got two years. And then here we are 25 years later, and everything's still going, going along fine. And th- here's, the, here's the weird thing. None of the people who made those wildly erroneous predictions have lost their jobs. They are, they are, they can still get published. They can still write books. All they have to, they're, they're sort of like uh, the secular version of Hal Lindsey's uh, late great planet earth. So Hal Lindsey uh, makes these erroneous predictions and the fact that those predictions didn't come true. And yet you can still be considered an expert means that you're not 
selling information, you're rather catering to a lust. So um, when, when, the, uh, when the prophecy doesn't come true and people are still willing to listen to you, um, that, that is because they're not expecting you to say something true about the world. They're expecting you to feed something in their heart. You, you, they're expecting you to feed something in their psyche. And, uh, and that's what environmentalists are, is they are uh, infidel, uh, infidel dispensationalists. They are people who, who have a, a need to believe that we're living in the last days. And if you give them some sort of plausible explanation for what, what's going to happen, this it's going to be, a, um, you know, the, the polar ice caps are going to melt and there we are. Uh, well, Soul, coming back to the book, so what Soul does is he dissects and shows. He, he has another book called The Conflict of Visions, and he contrasts there, contrasts there the constrained vision, which is sort of the conservative approach to the world, uh, and the unconstrained vision, which is the utopian view of the world. Um, in this book, he talks about how the unconstrained vision is unconstrained by anything especially even the facts especially the facts so when you make your statement when you make your prediction and it never comes true um you don't lose your job you and you don't lose your publishing deal for the next book because the bookseller wants to sell books and he knows that there are people out there who want who would who are willing to let you continue to cater to their lust so um, the Vision of the Anointed. If you if you get this book and read it, you're going to understand a great deal of what is happening all around us. So then, it's time for our hamartiology lesson. We're continuing to work through the New Testament, looking at the words uh, that are used for various sins or sinful attitudes. And the word aiskune is rendered as shame every time but one in the New Testament. And that one time, it is translated as dishonesty. So everywhere this word uh, occurs, it's translated as shame, except for one time, and, then, and, and in that place, it's rendered as dishonesty. In Luke 14:9, the man who assumed the highest place is forced to take the lowest place with shame. It, he's, he's forced down in humiliation. The crucifixion, was a shame that Christ was willing to endure, uh, Hebrews 12.2. It was a shame that he was willing to endure. And he was willing to endure it for the joy that was set before him. And Paul wrote against the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, he says in Philippians 3.19. The false teachers in Jude are the same. If they were a raging sea, shame would be the foam off of that raging sea. Verse 13. So we have um, the man who has to take the lowest place in Luke 14. You have Jesus willing to endure the shame in Hebrews 12.2. You have uh, those who are belly gods and whose glory is their shame in Philippians 3.19. And you have um, the false teachers who, who produce shame the way the raging sea produces foam. So Paul also says that he and those who ministered with him had renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.2. This is the same word. 
this kind of shameful and and of course this kind of dishonesty um the kind of thing that uh, uh hucksters religious hucksters and televangelists and people who are uh hustling people spiritually in order to get money out of them uh that is dishonest of course but it's also shamefully dishonest this kind of shameful dishonesty would include craftiness and a deceitful handling of the scripture uh that deceitful handling of the scripture is intended to get something out of the people whether it's uh, honor you know there's some preachers have spoken of the three g's the three g's that are temptations to ministers uh, which would be glory glory gold and girls so glory golden girls when people manipulate the scriptures in order to get glory that's bad when they manipulate the scriptures to get people to give them more money, that's bad. And when they manipulate the scriptures in order to get women, that is bad. The true believer is urged to come to Christ in order that the shame of his nakedness would not appear. In Revelation 3.18, Adam and Eve had the impulse to hide when they heard the Lord coming. And this impulse, however irrational, nevertheless, nevertheless makes good sense to us. Nobody wants to be caught out. Nobody wants to be revealed. Nobody wants to be humiliated before the world in an indefensible nakedness. And that is why the righteousness of Jesus Christ is the only cloak that a sinner should be willing to put on. God in the time of the sickness. God in the doctor too. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.